morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are our guests, whether you're with us for the first time today or the last few weeks. Thanks for making us your church home for an hour today. We're going to continue with our series on the Spirit-filled life. Turn with me over to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. The title of the message is The Spirit-Filled Life, Evidence, Part 1. Part 2 will be next week. Evidence. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 25. Paul is writing, and he says, But you, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunken, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you, as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Lord, help us as we study. Three things I'd like to concentrate on in this passage. What fleshly conduct is and the results of it. Two, what fruitful evidence is in the Spirit and what that looks like. And then three, how we follow Christ properly. Paul is doing what he can to help the church of Galatia understand that they should not be bound by the law. Now, these are a group of people that don't seem to have a whole lot of problem with going into uh, fleshly conduct regularly. He is using, it seems, this exhortation to remind them of what fleshly conduct looks like, not as much to tell them, you need to stop it though they need to stop it if they're doing it. But he's trying to help them understand that the law doesn't fix this. They were gravitating toward trying to figure out how to get their approval from God by observing the law. Now, the law is a good thing. When we talk about the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments and these some 602 laws that were attached to it that dealt with either ceremonial or uh, dietary restrictions, or case law, or observances, and ordinances, and statutes, many of which were relegated to that community at that time. The ten, the big ones, the main ones, are uh, applicable to any place, at any time, with any people. The ten work. But some of the others are for that people at that time i.e., there was a law that said you need to make sure that when you build a house, that you build a fence around the roof of a house. I was talking with someone the other day who was trying to say, I, I think we should observe everything in the Bible, especially the, the law of God. And I said, well, do you have a, a fence around you, the roof of your house? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, you are in serious violation, bro. <laughs> Well, the reason God did that is because their houses weren't A-framed. They weren't tapered, flat, 
and they would use the roofs of their houses with no air condition as places of relaxation, and they'd have parties and get-togethers up there. God just didn't want anybody falling off the roof. So you have to understand why God said what he said. The Galatians, many of whom were Jews, were trying to institute the law within the bounds of grace that God had given for people to be saved. And he said, now, if, you, if you're really going to be right with God, you're going to have to obey everything in the law. And, and Paul was saying, that's, that's, not, that's not an addition to our righteousness. It's not the thing we need to observe in order to find ourselves approved by God. We, we, are, we are approved by grace, and grace is that which saves us, not observance of the law. Now, it doesn't mean the law doesn't have any application. It does have application in that many of the statutes that we find there are good for us. There are things that that the law states that would help us be better and stay out of trouble. And so there are things that we should do, but it doesn't mean that somehow that garners us approval with God. And so... Here, Paul is trying to show the difference between walking according to the Spirit and by the law. And when we talk about walking by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit looks a certain way. If you're going to live a Spirit-filled life, people are going to see something different. Walking by the flesh, that in observance of trying to obey the law looks a little differently. And so Paul says, let me tell you what it looks like when people do things according to the flesh, in their own strength, with their own efforts, to try to to live this life. The evidence is that they wind up giving themselves over to the carnal nature. That the carnal nature takes over in some areas. And so it looks like lust and sensuality and envy and drunkenness and jealousy and strife. And he makes a very long list of things so that people would not be confused about what walking in the flesh looks like. There are two things that seem to be synonyms there that that really are not, but the English language doesn't serve us near as well. It says that there was uh, jealousy is mentioned there, and then there is envy mentioned there. Envy and jealousy seem to be synonyms, but they're not. Jealousy is desiring that which is your own, Envy is desiring that which is another's. And it says jealousy is mentioned as one of the deeds of the flesh. Well, the word in the, in the Greek actually is unbridled zeal, not just jealousy. So we're talking about somebody who has a, a, a distinct sense of self-righteousness and wants what they want that they believe is their own re- without regard to anybody else. It's fleshly. Envy is saying, that dude has a BMW, I want it. Two different things. But jealousy itself, God says, I am a jealous God. He says that a number of times in the Old Testament. I was talking with someone the other day that thought that jealousy was a very petty thing and that it showed somebody's insecurity if they were jealous. And and they were using this as an excuse to have continued relationship with exes. while they were in a committed one with someone else. And I was, I was doing my best to try to help them. Uh, I was being very kind, but, but I had to say, that's stupid. <laughs> I said, I, 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 I've been married for over 30 years, and 
and I used to have a, a couple of exes. I, I said, I, 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 don't, I don't befriend them on Facebook. I don't follow them on Instagram. I'm kind about it, but I let them know I'm married. And it would be inappropriate for me to continue to have a relationship with you while I have this one over here. Because I'm jealous for my relationship with my wife and she for me. And the last thing I want to do is bring anybody else in the middle of it. By friendship, by affection, by attention, I don't want her to have another thought about who I'm thinking about when I'm talking to somebody else. I am a professional in what I do. I got a window on my office. You a woman, you want to come and talk to me? It's going to be seen. It's going to be seen. It's going to be seen. Not going to be private. I have rules around my life. I'm jealous from my relationship with my wife. God said he is a jealous God. He created us. He doesn't want to share us with anybody. He doesn't want our attention to be distracted by another. He will have no other gods, not only before him, but beside him. Amen. Jealousy is a good thing when it doesn't manifest unbridled zeal. Now, you can get crazy with your jealousy. <laughs> Don't justify your stupidity. And you're, ooh, I got a good amen down here. <laughs> Don't justify how you want to go off on somebody by, by saying you're jealous. But there is, a, there is a defense of your relationship that is healthy and preserving. But these deeds of the flesh, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't fulfill them. And it's not that we need to always just try to bridle our soul so that we don't go the wrong way. It's not what it is. That's not, that's not what, the thing that pleases God the most is always trying to say, I won't, I won't, I won't, I, I'm not going to go that way, I'm not going to. Better to do that than to go that way. But that's not the way to live. The way to live is to live by the Spirit and you just won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Are you listening to me? And, and Paul's trying to tell them throughout the entire letter, if you try to live by the law, you're li living by reform, and you can't restrain your flesh that way. Nothing, nothing about Christianity is about reform. It's about transform. Reform is just taking whatever you are and making you a better you. And everybody uses that little catchphrase, I'm trying to be the best, best version of me I possibly can. It won't work before God. You may become a better basketball player. You may become a better salesman. You might even become a better friend. But you will never be a better Christian. Simply by trying to reform yourself, to do better doesn't work. You have to die. You have to cease. You can no longer continue to exist. I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about spiritually and figuratively. You must take up your cross. We're going to get to this at the end of the message. Take up your cross and die with Christ because your house is not a refurbishing project. It has been condemned. Are you listening to me? You are not a fixer-upper. There is a big sign that has been placed over your life before you knew Christ that said condemned. You know what condemned means? When, when, when the county or the, 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 the uh, inspector comes and looks at a house and says condemned, it is uninhabitable. It is not safe for occupation. And the only way you can fix it is to destroy it. 
we by our sin were condemned. We could not get out of that punishment. There's no way you can fix that. You have to destroy it. And the only way to fix us is for us to die and be rebirthed. You can't do it by the law because the law will just restrain for a minute but not transform. And you will ultimately give in to the deeds of the flesh. And those deeds disqualify you, you from things. They disqualify you. Says you, if you continue on this pathway, you do not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there are some who would disagree with me on this point. But they'd have a hard time trying to figure out uh, that I'm wrong in my, my derivation of getting to my conclusion. Because my exegesis is pretty proper here, meaning the, the way you interpret a passage of Scripture. It's pretty, pretty sound. The kingdom of God is a realm. It's not a place. Heaven is a place. The kingdom of God is an atmosphere, a realm. It represents the rule of God wherever he is. In the Old Testament, you never saw the term the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of, say, Rehoboam, who was a king, or the kingdom of Judah. It was, the kingdom was always defined by either the people who made up the kingdom or the monarch who was sitting on the throne. You never saw anything in, in terms of the kingdom of God. It was only when John the Baptist came in the New Testament where he, he brings in a whole new phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because he knew he was the forerunner for the Messiah who was right on his heels, Jesus. And he was saying, there's a brand new kind of kingdom that's coming. The kingdom of Israel had borders. The kingdom of Judah had borders. The kingdom of Rehoboam, Solomon, Jeroboam, all had limits. But this king who's coming, he has a kingdom without limits. No borders on it. Its rule will continue on forever. And it will expand until it encompasses the entire earth. It will not stop. And it will have no end. This is the kingdom of God. It was prophesied about when Nathan came to David after David wanted to build a house and God would not let him. And God said, because you wanted to build me a house, I'm going to build your house. And it is a house that will remain forever. And you will never cease to have a man sit on the throne. And this was the beginning of understanding how the Messiah would be and who he might be and from whom he would come. John the Baptist knew that. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is among you. And then he began to talk to say like Nicodemus, would you like to enter into the kingdom of God? Not the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of God? You got to be born again. And so the kingdom of God is a realm. And it was manifest on the earth for the first time when Jesus came. Before it was just in heaven. Now the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable. But I want you to understand something because it's important to understand this passage best. Heaven and the kingdom of God are two separate things. Heaven is a place, kingdom is a realm. I'm spending time on this because... I don't think Paul is saying that if you do these things, although these things are horrible to do and you need to make sure that you don't do them, but if you do these things, somehow you have jeopardized your placement in heaven. I don't think he's saying that. 
I think what he's saying is you've jeopardized your good citizenship on the planet, meaning that your affiliation with the kingdom cannot be seen. Not here, where it's supposed to be, where the kingdom of God is manifest while you are here. There are a lot of people uh, who, who are wonderful uh, uh, human beings, and, and they are citizens of America. But if they continue to violate the laws of America and prove themselves not to be good citizens anymore, they can't enjoy the freedoms of driving to Safeway, <laughs> of coming to church, of going to the park, or seeing the Redskins play. They must now be confined to an 8 by 8 cell. It doesn't mean that they aren't Americans anymore. It simply means that they are now limited. And you will be limited if you continue to do the things that are of the flesh. You will never be able to live according to kingdom principle. Are you listening to me? If you live wrong like that, you won't inherit this beautiful kingdom God wants you to have. And that's what we need to live in. The kingdom, I'm telling you, the kingdom is the best place to be. And if you are living according to the flesh, then you are missing out on all the benefits of your citizenship. The inheritance that God wants to give you, living according to the kingdom, is the best way to live. I walk into my house and it's a little expression of the kingdom. I got people who love God, children who mama does. I do. We're working our best to do the best. I walk into my church. We're working our best to do our best. We want to manifest his kingdom on the, on the earth. That's, what, that's why we work hard here. And do we make mistakes? Yes, I chief among them. I realize I can blow it regularly. But we are doing all we can that when we do make mistakes to say, I repent, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go that way again. And we manifest the principles of the kingdom of restoration so that we can reestablish the order that makes us live best. This is what kingdom is about. But if you live on the outside, if you live doing things that are contrary to his principles, then you, you forfeit your inheritance. I don't want you to do that. So... Stop sleeping with her. Just stop it. If you're, if, if you're shacking up, move. You, you think you have happiness, but you don't know what contentment is until you do right by kingdom principles and live according to the Spirit. You just don't know. You just don't know. If, if you're, you're not being generous with your resources, if you don't know anything about tithing and giving, you're missing out on kingdom principles. You're not living according to the kingdom with your finances. If you're selfish, if you're envious, if you've got malice in your heart, if you won't forgive, you have not entered into the principles of the kingdom whereby you are supposed to live best. I'm begging you, repent so you can inherit the things God wants you to while you are here. He says you forfeit the kingdom. But then he goes into the things that allow you to manifest that you are living in the kingdom, that you're living the spirit-filled life. He said, but the fruit of the spirit, even though the things of the flesh are evident, the fruit of the spirit, nine things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-control, faithfulness, against such things there is no law. These nine things, although there may be more, are character traits of God that allow us to be seen as being like him when we manifest them. So when you are 
When you are living by the Spirit, living the Spirit-filled life, these character traits exude from you so that other people understand how they should live best. And I'm convinced that Paul's spoken in allegory here when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, meaning he was referencing something, and then he, he bookends it by saying, against us, such things there is no law. So he mentions these nine char- characteristics, calls them fruit at the beginning, and then he says, against such things there is no law. And I think what he's trying to convey is that this is the kind of stuff that overlays what God thought about when he thought about putting Adam in the Garden of Eden. So there was one tree from which Adam could not eat, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day you eat of it, you will die. But this garden was massive. Ezekiel says in retrospect, the book of Ezekiel, that this garden of God had a mountain in it. And so, if you've got a mountain in your garden, <laughs> it's a lot of territory. There's a lot of trees in that thing, a lot of, a lot of stuff to care, care for. So, Adam, God was saying, of, of the 20,000 trees I've put in this garden, 19,999, you can knock yourself out with. Eat as much as you want, have as much as you want. You want pears? Take three. You want an apple? Take five. Enjoy. I have no law against them. Eat from them freely. Just one. Don't eat from it. In the same way, he's saying, if you find yourself short on love, there's more fruit to get. You find yourself short on patience. There's help for you. There's more fruit to eat. Take another bite. There's no law against how much. And, and we seem to run out of all these things, do we not? We find out we don't have as much love as we should when we find somebody who is unlovable. Love. Oh, I can't stand them. We find out we don't have the patience we should when we're parents. We find out we don't have the peace we should when the storms come to our life and they get us all flustered on the inside and we begin to doubt whether God is really for us. When he's already said he's going to take us through, we ought to manifest the peace in the midst of the storm rather than after the storm is over because we know that our God is for us. All these things we seem to run out of all the time. Just run out. But God said, you can eat some more. Enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out. You can have as much peace as you want. As much peace as you want. Because he's made no law against them. And the world is looking for people who are liberal in these areas. Liberal in love. Never run out. Liberal in joy. Peace. Patience. Self-control. Self-control is a... um, is a, is, a, is a manifestation of God's spirit that is often not sought after. But self-control is that which allows you to say no to the areas that you should and to say yes to that which you should. It's the ability to control self. Sorry, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. Can you control yourself? Can you stop your passions? 
Can you tell your heart what to do? I saw somebody who had a phrase on their social media. It said, follow your heart. I said, why do you want to do that? <laughs> why in the world do you want to do that? Tell your heart to follow you. Your heart will lead you astray. Jeremiah says, the heart is sick. Who can know it? It is vile and full of evil. Who can understand it? Our hearts are messed up. What makes you think your heart is pure enough to follow it? Where did you get that idea? Everything about us is messed up. My heart is still, I'm still having to make sure, Lord, is that you or me? Uh, I, better, I better step back a minute because that, that, that feels more like just a good idea rather than a God idea. I don't know if I'm going to go that direction right now. I'm not talking about evil and good. I'm talking about good and best. Though evil and good need to be discerned. For me, it, most of the time, it's good and best. Don't follow your heart. Don't do that. Follow God and tell your heart what to do. Self-control. You can manifest self-control in a service of worship, too. People get happy in church, and they're happy. I don't mind. I'm probably the most animated worshiper in this building, but I'm controlled. Some folk just start jumping around, running, being happy. I ain't mad at them. I just guide them to a room where they can do that. Please, manifest all the joy you want in God. We have a place for you over here. But, but, I, but I want to I wanna worship here. Well, listen, you're, everybody's looking at you now. They're, they're not looking at God. They're not, they, you've taken all the attention away from him. And, and, and that's really not good. We're here to worship him. We're not here to look at you. So if, if you want to remain, you can, but you're going to you're gonna have to tone it down just a little. But if you'd like to continue to go the way you're going, I can have a, there's a room right over here. I can take it, you can shout as loud as you like. And you know what, because the, 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 the focus is him, it doesn't matter whether you do it here or there. Does it? I mean, if it's worship of him, you can do it just as fervently there as you could here. It's just when you do it here, you know, you know it makes people a little uncomfortable. It's like, PDAs, <laughs> public displays of affection. You get those couples that are holding hands all the time. And you're <laughs> out in public, you just say, dude, come on now. Come on now. You just stop all that. We don't want to see that. We realize you do it, but we don't want to. There, there are places to, pref- to, to express intimacy. Generally, public is not one of them. <laughs> Sorry. Self-control. <laughs> Self-control. It's, you, you can actually manifest control in church and be led of the Spirit. Amen. Just FYI. And when we do this, God allows people to see who he is through us rather than them trying to find him over us. 
we, we are the impediment. I can't find God because of you. Every time I think about how good he is, I think about how messed up you are. And it, it really help, it, it, it hinders me from getting to him. I can't tell you how many people don't go to church because somebody messed up. Do you know anybody like that? Excuse me. Are you him or her? Is this your first time in the last six years because somebody messed up six years ago? Now, even though that happened, I'm not justifying it. You needed to grow up six years ago. Simply because somebody messed up doesn't mean it, it, it should reflect poorly on him. They messed up. All they did was confirm your idea of, what, of how messed up humanity is. You know God's not messed up. You know that. You know he's perfect. So what you need to do is find him in spite of some people sometimes. Our job is to make sure that we are not those that they need to find him in spite of. And so we need to manifest the fruit of the Spirit regularly. And what happens when we do that? He says, the best way to come to this, the best way to come to an understanding of how to walk right, how to be right, how to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, is to first understand that if you have desired to identify with Christ Jesus, those who want to be with him have crucified the flesh and its, and its passions and desires. As I said before, your house has been condemned. It's not a, a fixer-upper. Your job is now to surrender not to become a better version of you, to start all over, to be born again. Jesus said, Nicodemus, chapter 3, John, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you are born into it. And so you come into the realm of the kingdom by being born into it. And when you were born into it, that is a metaphor for us getting a brand new start. The old Brett died 35 years ago, 36 years ago. He died. And the new Brett has been growing up ever since. But I'm not just a better version of my old. I am brand new. And that's what God wants you to be. You have to crucify yourself so that you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Die with Christ. Surrender. Give your heart up to him. Give your life to him. Give him your past, your future. Give him your present. Give him all that you are so that he can remake you after his image. And what happens is, as a result, you get to live by the Spirit, meaning not only every day do we, we exist by His presence, but we have been born by His presence. And He says, not only should we be living by His presence, living by the Spirit, but as a result of living by Him, we need to walk by Him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, He who believes in Jesus must, must walk just as He did. Must walk just as He did. There should be no distinction between a person who calls himself a Christian and the walk that they live and how Jesus lived. No distinction. People ought to be able to see a mirror image. Mirror image. Now we're not perfect. I get it. But even where we blow it, we should then come back and apologize and know how to get it right so people understand, yes, I'm flawed, but I know what to do when my flaws appear. And I can get it right with you. We should be people who walk like Jesus in humility every day, all day. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. We say we love God. But rarely do we want to do what he defines as love back to him. We want to love him like we want to love him. We want to love him with our emotions. <sighs> Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we think we're loving God in a service of worship for 15 minutes as we express our devotion to him in song. And that's one way. But that's not the way he has prescribed. It doesn't mean that it's not a part of the recipe. But we use it as a substitute for what he wants most. He said, if you love me, do what I say. John 14, 15. If you love me, do what I say. I end with this story. It's a bad one. February of 1988, uh, Cynthia and I were celebrating our second uh, Valentine's Day. Um, we were married a year and a half or so, a year and 13 months. and We moved into a new house that had um, a lot more floor space, and we didn't have a vacuum cleaner that could make it work. And um, I didn't have any money. I was making about $15,000. She was no longer employed, and so we had one little baby, and we were trying to make it go. And she, she expressed that at some point in our relationship that she needed a vacuum cleaner. And, and Valentine's Day was coming up. So I went to Sears, and I bought a vacuum cleaner, thinking I was doing really good. I was saving money and getting her what she wanted at the same time. I knew something was wrong when I went to the checkout counter, and um, vacuum cleaner, and the woman said, oh, is this for your wife? I said, yeah. I said, I'm getting it for, for Valentine's Day. She went... And then she said, as only a professional could, I hope she likes it. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed, I don't know what to do. I hate this story. 35 years, 30 years later, I hate this story. So I bring it home and uh, clueless, absolutely clueless, and give it to her. It's a big box. She's thinking there's something big to do. And she opens it, she's a vacuum cleaner, and she, just, she says, thank you. I said, I blew it, didn't I? I, I? I think I blew it. I think I blew it. I expected much more, and there's not much more there. Um, uh, oh, dear, I'm sorry. I got you a vacuum. Mm. We kind of do that with God. We get him what we think he wants. And many times he'll say thanks. Because it's not bad. It's just not what he wants. So lift your hands and worship. Sing to him with all your heart. Thank you. What I want is your obedience. I want your obedience every day. I don't want you to substitute this, what you're doing, for what I want on Monday. You want to walk, right? You want to walk according to the Spirit? You want to be filled with the Spirit and live the Spirit-filled life? Love Him like that. Obey Him every day. Let's pray.